Hello and welcome to the ISBA BursaCast podcast. This is a Friday Focus episode released on the 17th of November 2023. Today's topic is going to be holiday pay and all the new legislation and guidance that the government has finally, may I add, issued. So we've got some really good indications of exactly what's to be done for our part-time and part-year peripatetic workers. To make sense of all this, we're joined by Abigail Trencher, who is Head of Education at Burkitt's. And she does a great job of making this all make sense and also gazing into her crystal ball at the end of the episode to have a little think about what changes there might be coming to the independent school sector. So with all that to look forward to, let's jump right in. Abigail, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Good morning. It's a delight to have you. And hopefully we're going to run through some more of the uh, kind of the maze that is holiday pay 2024. And to, to quote your recent article, a return to coherency or so we hope, at least for a while, which I think reflects the sort of the sort of topsy-turvy nature of this that's been happening for quite a long time regarding the harper Brazel case and then the recent uh, Agnew case and everything that's been caught up with that, with peripatetic workers and timings and all that sort of stuff. Yesterday, we briefly went over some of the key updates around it, sort of getting an understanding of kind of why this has happened and understanding that this has now been put to bed almost. So we're not going to be revisiting, hopefully, unless I think it's horribly wrong, Harper, Brazil again, and it's now been put in place. For anyone who perhaps didn't catch yesterday's episode or just wants to explain again briefly, what has happened? So we finally have the government's response to consultation two lots of consultation. The first that started in January, and that was in response to Harper Brazil case. And then the second consultation that then um, was conducted in March, and that was in respect of, you know, what parts of, of um, legislation do we want to keep in view of Brexit and the fact that, you know, decisions have to be made by the end of this year as to, as to what EU law is going to be retained. And those two consultations came to an end in summer, we had the case of Agnew, which threw everyone back into a bit of um, a dilemma because that removed a, a, a quite a, a bit of relief that employees and, and sorry, employers were, were looking for with regards to there being a three-month gap in a series of deductions. And so that so on the back of Agnew, it was more likely that more cases would proceed in respect of unlawful deductions and the liability of those cases would be greater than was hoped by a lot of employers. And so we're all still waiting for the government's response to the consultation that could resolve this. And thankfully, we have it. And quite unprecedented, we both had the response to two lots of consultation on the 8th of November, followed by regulations. So it was a really bonanza day um, where they just kept falling from the heavens. And I've, I've not known such a swift response. So after quite a bit of a gap, it all came at once. Mm, does make you wonder what government minister was going to lose a lot of money if it didn't happen quickly. <laughs> but yeah, so lots have changed. I mean, how will the new introduction of categ- of new categories rather for irregular hours workers or part year workers impact the calculation and management of holiday entitlements for staff? Yes, well, it's, it's going to have a real benefit. So the, the, the two categories, the regular workers and the second category of part-year workers really helps the education sector because it will cover both 
casual workers that are working just now and again as ad hoc. Um, so, for example, a lot of higher education authorities have catering staff um, that they have to call in at last minute, hospitality staff, as do schools in respect to their sports coaches. They'll often be working just ad hoc. Um, and then it also tackles part year workers, which was really the, um, the, the dilemma that came out of the um, Harper Trust case, where part year workers really get a windfall in respect of holiday pay that I think was unexpected by a lot of commentators, lawyers and employers. And it, and it helps that because what it essentially says is in respect to those two categories of workers, one who works variable hours, their contract requires them to variable hours. And the second, the part year workers who only are required to work under the contract for part of the year, which in schools will be term time um, only employees, provided that they don't get paid in the periods of time that they're not working. So part year workers are ones that only are required to work part of the year and are not paid for periods they're not working. But nonetheless, they have a permanent contract that spans the whole of the year. For those two categories of employees, then their holiday pay is calculated on 12.07%, so a percentage based on 5.6 weeks, based on the hours that they work over the reference period. So it, it really helps to clarify the holiday they're entitled to. So, And in respect of part-year workers, it means that they don't get this windfall. They get a proportion of the holiday based on the, purport, the, the proportion of the year in which they work. And, and the second change is that the government has said it's acceptable to be able to pay those workers rolled up holiday pay. And that means that you can roll it up and pay it with their hourly pay, so pay it each reference period. I don't think in, that would be such a big issue for part-year workers, but it'll certainly be helpful for pure casuals where you just want them to work the odd weekend, maybe the odd shift now and again. And then you can you can then make sure that you discharge your liability for holiday pay at the same time as you pay them for that piece of work. There's some clarified components of holiday pay for the four weeks of EU-derived holiday. How should schools adjust their compensation structures? Because obviously they don't have things like commission, but professional status and maybe overtime, um, how do how do they handle those things? Well, they've had to for some time because we've had the bare Scotland. There's, that's been a accumulation of cases over time. And, and by and large, it doesn't impact upon the education sector as much as it does other sectors. But certainly allowances, a lot of schools, and particularly the independent school sector, have allowances. But I, but they are usually already calculated the pay. But the important thing is when you calculate pay for the four weeks of the statutory leave period that derives from Europe, that must contain allowances. But what is now clear in the legislation is that 1.6 weeks that is the additional leave that was introduced by the UK government in 2009, the, the requirement, that the minimum requirement for pay for that period is on basic pay only, so it wouldn't include the allowances. Now, a lot of employers um, just pay the same rate of pay because it is it is quite difficult from a payroll perspective to work out what what leave periods are which and to make sure that you're adjusting your payroll accordingly so by and large I think that might be more difficult um, but it, but the government has 
has confirmed that there are two rates of pay that are required. One, the, the higher rate, if you like, the uplift that includes all of the additional commission overtime and allowances somebody gets must be an average of that must be included in the first four weeks of the leave, the four weeks that relates to the statutory leave that derives from the working time directive in Europe. And the, and the next, the 1.6 weeks is payable at, at basic rate only. I have to say, they, um, but the recent case of Agnew doesn't help there because it, the, the court refused to accept that there was any preference as to what holiday you're taking. So it didn't, ex- it wouldn't accept that the first lot of holiday you take would be your working time directive holiday. And the second lot would be the 1.6. It's very difficult for employers to determine which leave is being taken at which time. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And then, I mean, what steps can our bursars take to ensure that irregular hours workers and part year workers have clear information about their accrued leave during, say, maternity or family related leave or sick leave? And how should the 52 week reference period be practically applied to achieve accurate calculations in these situations? Well, you just have to you have to base it on an average. So you have to make sure that you have got good information about what employees, what workers have earned over the, the reference period, which is 12 months before that um, period, excluding any periods that they don't work. So you, you have to keep good data about your holiday. But what's also come out of the legislations is, is clarity over what will happen when someone's on return to leave. So those workers are still entitled um, to, to have those um payments taken into account in respect to the holiday that they accrue. And um, so that that's helpful as well. But the important thing is to have the data. And what I would say is the important thing for bursaries to consider is you, you do need to keep looking at your employment contracts and make sure that they're very clear. So in respect to regular workers, if you want to adopt this approach of 12.07% rolled up holiday pay, you're going to have to make sure that pay statements itemise that very carefully because that is the condition on which such a right is granted, that you have to really be clear with the individual what part of their pay packet relates to their holiday so they so they might need some adjustments in their pay statements. Their contracts should also reflect that and be explicitly clear if you're going to be paying rolled up holiday pay. And of course, your calculations need to be quite clear that how you're going to change your payroll in order to make that calculation. And you start to part year workers, similarly, you have to have a mechanism where you're looking back over their reference period and you can assess, therefore, what what 12.7% looks like. Because even if you're not going to pay it at the end of that pay reference period, you're going to have to carry that that leave forward so they can take it at a period of time, for example, in in the school's holiday. They can then take the holiday that's accrued, but it's important that they obviously have a record of what holiday has accrued and therefore they can take and be paid for. Cool, blimey. I'm glad it's not my job to sort all this out. It, it does feel quite complicated, but I suppose that's why people like yourself are here to help it all make sense. Sort of moving on from holiday pay, I suppose, is kind of, I guess we've dealt with it there. That's what the new guidance is and that's what you've got to do to make the most of it. But, you know, as head of education at Burkitt's, if you were to gaze into your crystal ball, what changes do you see coming forward in the, in the next 12 months? For, for bursas generally, for... Well, for, for the school, for independent school sector, and don't worry, I won't hold you to this, but just what, what sort of things do you foresee perhaps happening? Well, of course, we have got um, we've got a lot of um, issues arising. So obviously the pension scheme is a real concern. I think that's heightened, not just by the increase in the, um, in the employer contribution rate, but also by the f- 
by the concern that with a change of government, independent schools are going to be hit further by changes in VAT and perhaps other reliefs. So I think everyone is quite guarded. And of course, independent schools, a lot of those are charities. So they always need to consider if they're using the right proportion of their money to, to the charitable aims. So that means that they always are having to consider how much their, their total wage bill is, including um, pensions and so forth. So there's a there's a lot of issues in respect of um, the TPS at the moment. Um, we're helping quite a few clients with those, those issues and talking about the options. Um, obviously, with, with the the concerns that a change of government might bring. There's concerns about restructuring, making sure everyone's as organised and as tight as it can be in terms of you know, how many how many individuals are employing generally as an employer. Um, and then what we're also seeing is a lot of issues on the student issues front. So our student issues team has been very busy in respect of complaints. So whilst we're seeing a trend generally of discontentment, and, and people are voicing issues more and they are having to be dealt with both employment in terms of you know, generally complaints, grievances, but also on the student issues, the parental side, the student side. And, and that's causing a lot of issues. And I think that is leading employers, schools to having to consider their structure because presently a lot falls on the head and then a lot falls on the governing body. And that's great if your governing body is really engaged and has a lot of spare time. But of course, governors are volunteers. So in some schools, they're just that the, the senior level of management just isn't insulated enough to be able to deal with the, the number and complexity of the issues that are moving up the chain. And I think that is something that strategically independent schools should be looking at um, in the year ahead as to have they got the right structure to be able to deal with with a change of culture, I would say, both from employees, but particularly also on the student issue side, students and parents. Mm, That's interesting. I think this change of structure is definitely something that feels necessary, given Mm. how everything else in in our society has changed. Mm. Schools feel that they haven't changed for hundreds of years. And in some cases, that's the great thing about them. But in some cases, there really needs to be upgrades as well. It is great. No, it's, 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 I think the problem is that the, the current system, you know, does rely upon sort of deference. And that deference is definitely being eroded in society. And that's really having a change. You know, people are not satisfied anymore with reviews that schools are undertaking with the with the response they get to complaints. And, and it is leading to more time having to be spent on matters and it'd be really interesting to hear from heads as whether they believe that they are spending more time on those types of issues but my understanding from the heads I speak to is yes they do feel that more of their time is spent on those matters and they are more difficult to deal with and if you compare it to the mat structures what we're seeing in the in the academy sector is bigger mats and and, but what you see in the mats is you have a different structure now emerging where you have or has emerged for some time, which you have CEOs and you have a layer of management that is not involved in teaching. And, and what that does help is it gives some insulation to dealing with complaints. I mean, there's other ways of doing it. I'm not suggesting that independent schools should follow that example. But I think that the current structure where you have everything sort of involved into the head does put the head under immense pressure. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That pressure is going to be applied across the board for bursars to heads and all the senior leadership team. Now, I'm conscious of time, so I shan't keep you any longer. But thank you so much for coming on to the Bursa cast and sharing with us some of your wisdom from Burkitt's. 
Hopefully you had a nice weekend planned ahead after this Friday focus. Thank you very much and hopefully catch you again soon. Thank you very much, Lee. It's good to, Leo, it's, it's good to be here. Thank you. And that is the end of this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in and thank you, Abigail, for joining us on this episode. For more details and some guidance notes, please head to the reference library. As usual, please share this with members of your team if you think they'll find it useful and be sure to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to make sure you never miss an update. If you'd like to get in touch, please email podcast at the isba.org.uk. We'll be back next week with some new episodes and some more updates for you, so please keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. In the meantime, have a lovely weekend. Till next time, farewell. <laughs>